0: Rusty Quill Presents Hi friends Today I've come to tell you a story About a denizen of the Wireland You know him as Moldington, And this is how he came to be Back at the ranch But worry not friends Episode 6 will arrive right on time Thank you for listening And as always Coming to see us round the bend this is mr moldington's sunrise freedom party mr moldington woke abruptly after a few hours of restless sleep while the moon was still high and dead in the sky to gleam silver dirty mirror shine on the sphere we sometimes call hell and sometimes call home. This duality of our planet was never lost on him, especially times like these. Times laying with his eyes open and his mind wandering under the soft down of his blankets, on top of bazillion thread count sheets staring at the stifling on the ceiling and Feeling folded in half. Yes, that's accurate. Folded in half like a contract, a scribbled love letter, or a past due bill. There was a kazoo on his nightstand, a plastic contraption spiraling baby blue and pink from one end to the other. He had written the initials O.H.M. in fine black script along the edge. Too small to see, but he knew they were there nonetheless, and these letters made it his and his alone. Everything he owned held these markings, the couches and televisions, fine china and dressers, toothbrushes and coffee cups, the vinyl siding on his house, glass in the windows, door locks, keys, pry bars and guns. He scribbled his initials the way animals piss on grass and fire hydrants. This feral habit is one he will be shedding today. He is done with it, among other things, in the Three meaningless letters can rot away in hell for all he cares because he is on a home kick today, and initials wear badly. He knew if he picked up the kazoo and hummed into the mouthpiece, his voice would transform to a happy buzzing like crowds of bees swarming brightly shaded flower blossoms or making honey. The sound would round out his smile, but it was not time yet soon, just not quite yet. Mr. Moldington struggled up from his bed and sauntered to the bathroom, a vast hospital storeroom of a place all creamy tile and sparkling porcelain spiked with a menagerie of chrome knobs and levers. The chrome glimmered the way magical things in Disney films glimmer under the light projected from the crystal fixture hanging from the ceiling. Somewhere in that spectacular light was a minute shadow of OHM in silhouette curve and swirl. The crystal ruined, soiled with black ink piss, but God, does it sparkle. Immaculately clean and polished, not a speck of dust. Another fine housekeeping performance by the brown ghost. He calls her the brown ghost because he cannot remember her name. Something vaguely sexy and South American-ish. He pays her direct deposit, and after the incidentals had been set up, what was the point of remembering her name? Another piece of useless information in a brain full of useless information akin to the capital of India. Pre-meal prayers and old pop songs. He never sees her. It's as if she has a supernatural knowledge of when he was and was not going to be around and she swept through like an invisible storm cloud of cleanliness battering the landscape of his home with vacuums and brooms and superbly modern feather dusters. Maybe she had him under surveillance, secret wires and microphones, cameras, and GPS devices which tracked his every move, and she'd watch on closed-circuit television and read reports as though he were the star of his own one-man show, Mr. Moldington on the move. He liked the sound of that, catchy, easy to remember, but after today, the brown ghost would have nothing left to clean. Briefly. He thought about how long the direct deposit would continue on. He was sure something could be done about that, an addendum to his will, something official to allow the money to continue on after he was gone. He cares about her well-being, he does. Even if it's only the brand of concern a CEO has for a mail clerk, but the truth is he's tired of the hassles. Tired of all the nonsense and could not deal with keys or documents or branch managers at banks for one more day, he, he no longer cared whether he could affect the slivered and fractious circumstances of life anymore, especially if the changes require a signature. Control was another habit to be relinquished today. This was the morning of the Sunrise Freedom Party. and. After this, he is done, simple as that, no more of no more of no more. Oscar Harrow Moldington would cease to be. He smiled again at the thought, the liberation, the end. He fiddled with the knobs over the sink and water ran from the faucets and he began the early morning rituals of personal grooming, of making himself ready for the day, for interaction with the world, for play talk banner with those other poor souls clumped together in the city for following rules and walking in a straight line for doing all the tiny and pointless things it takes to be considered a contributing member of society reading newspapers staying abreast of the situation saying hello catching buses and hailing cabs and shooting the shit in line for overpriced coffee after he ran the water over his aged and average face A face with no passed-down genetic clues as to his origin or lineage. And after he stared into his bloodshot eyes for what could have very well been long minutes of study, tracing the broken vessels like a diagram of who he is or could have been, he opens the medicine cabinet. A self-contained universe of amber bottles with white child-proof caps like vault doors protecting... The spherical and ovular forms of space-aged words, words, for example, like clonazepam, valium, cymbalta, adipex, dexedrine, neurontin, and vicoprofen Words that made you feel better when the act of existing had you feeling low. Some brought you up while others edged you out, some smoothed your wrinkles while others smoothed your thoughts, and some made you shaky, but they all made you smile. One by one, he opened the bottles and tapped a pill or two from each into a pharmaceutical ellipsis on the marble countertop. The soft, edgeless shapes contrasted sharp against the stark white spring colors. Pale Easter bunny pink, grass green, sunshine yellow, the colors of positive moods and smiling faces without expression in the eyes. One by one and... Two by two, all laid out, he swallowed with swishes of crystalline water. He brushed his teeth, enameled squares of rooted porcelain and metal jutting from his gums. His mouth was a garden. Oscar smiled at the mirror, and the mirror smiled back. Once the rituals were complete, he donned his clothes. No tie today, but everything else essentially the same. Pinstripe suit, shirt sleeves rolled perfect to his elbow, tailored slacks wider at the bottom than normal, so they glide over polished black shoes. He does not pack any bags. Where he is going, a bag will not be necessary. Happily, he can leave it all behind. Mr. Moldington is a fan of names and titles. During the many evolutions of his plan, the title was changed to an extent that some people may deem obsessive. Upon initial conception, on one of the many mornings he laid in bed feeling folded in half like a bad poem stuffed in the back pocket of some emo kid's skinny jeans, he considered a military sounding title, something like Operation Vanishing Point, till he decided this sounded far too similar to a cheaply made action film. The title was then changed to Operation Evacuation. He enjoyed that because it was still militarily evocative, being that it contained the word Operation, and this is the key word required for all military endeavors. But he eventually decided against the title because the rhyme sounded hokey when he said it out loud. So maybe military terminology was not the proper route. He was only considering something warlike in the beginning because this plan was exactly that. Warlike. A personal battle against who he'd allowed himself to become over the course of his years. Mr. Moldington tied his shoes. Oscar was also thinking militantly because he grew up fond of guns. Maybe not so much recently, but definitely as a teenager and younger adult, he... Thought the title should pay homage to that youthful pleasantry, a sort of requiem to ideals, then again. He also liked drugs, cults, music, women, and cigarettes. What would that be called? Precocious, maybe. He grew up loving all of the things that should have led him to become a writer, or a prisoner, or both. Seems he may have taken a wrong turn along the way. Then he concluded a title with the term project might prove appropriate. Operation Evacuation was changed to Project Harrow Removal. This, of course, was scrapped due to the unfortunate similarity between his middle name and a gardening tool for field hands. It sounded too much like a dangerous mission to steal or misplace a farming utensil, no. No, this would not have worked. A plan this serious should not be reduced to a joke or even a bad pun. The name would not only have to be functional, a means of organizing the details, he would have to live with it as well, a sort of private legacy, one of the accomplishments of his personal lexicon. And not to be haughty, but his list of accomplishments were nothing to be scoffed at, not as far as the eyes of the world could see anyway. Oscar Harrow Moldington should be proud. Yet, he was the furthest thing from Proud, the polar opposite of Proud, the antonym. He assumed the word was disappointed, although he's not sure. Mr. Moldington has what he calls outcast values, orphan morals. For this, he is thankful, because the best thing about being out is you never have to look inside through a foggy window and yearn for things you never had because you never wanted them at all. Can I get a hallelujah? No? didn't expect one, but it never hurts to try. He straps a watch on his left wrist and becomes a complete picture, a made-up individual adorned with all the modern bells and whistles, something visceral, the shape, outline, and definition, role-playing his life, and he is so goddamn tired of showing up to the ball, the costume is complete, and for now, he is not the ghost that we are when we are all alone. Mr. Moldington walks down the stairs that split his home in two. Project separation came next. This one had a ring to it. It had a military feeling, a noted lack of farming tools, and the hokiness was at a bare minimum. He thought he might be on to something with this one. He left his wallet upstairs in the nightstand next to his bed. It was made of the skin of slaughtered calves terminated on behalf of the veal industry. And the soft folds were credit and debit cards, cash in three different currencies, pictures of people who used to be his family before they were dead, and business cards imprinted with his name, cell number, and the moniker of the firm he worked for in a variety of prestigious positions over the years of his professional life executive vice-presidencies of research, of development, of public relations, and so on, all the way to his most recent title is what the firm likes to call head of cultural studies on a strictly hush-hush basis. We will lead the firm nameless to prevent a slander suit and potentially ugly courtroom scene complete with all the hammering of gavels, red-faced lawyers, and annoyed jurors it implies— The firm is to be considered a solitary, anonymous evil that, on a general level, looms over all of us in varying degrees of influence. And on a more personal level, acts as a stain on a life so tarnished and stained it is hard to imagine what that life would be, were it clean. Project Separation stayed with him during the early phases of his plan. During the removal of... Teeth cracked from his skull with the violent sound of tree limbs snapping in silent forests. All 32 at one time, Mr. Moldington refused anesthesia, refused to be put under, and instead was vehemently numbed with Novocaine, a million tiny pinpricks to induce the strange sensation of anti-sensation, which is still a sensation only harder to identify, like touching dead bodies and late-stage rigor mortis. The antithesis of feeling He wanted the experience, wanted to be able to accurately describe the crunching in his jaw, the way that his head jerked from right to left, the click of metal clamps on wisdom teeth, the ripping of bone from skull. He wanted to be able to answer the question, if the question were ever asked. He was, as all of us are, a collector of experience. He could not think of a more accurate definition for life. He had flown to a rat hole in the rural southeast to have his teeth removed, an otherworldly hillbilly landscape labeled Sexton, South Carolina. Looking back now, he thought of it as a collage of pine trees, fast food restaurants, and churches made in an elementary school special education art class. He had chosen this particular dental clinic because A... They were the only place he called who would pull every tooth at one time, and B, they asked for neither identification or medical insurance. This led to the assumption that the people of Sexton, South Carolina, carried neither, which was fine by him. In the kitchen, Mr. Moldington completed the rather complex maneuvers required to make coffee brew, in the space-age contraption he was told was a coffee pot by a salesman at some mall store or another. And though he was told that it is in fact a coffee pot and he has witnessed the formulation of coffee within its shining stainless steel shell, he remains convinced the machine must perform other services as well like acting as a homing beacon for some super evolved alien race searching for a way back to our planet. He fondly thinks back to a time when coffee pots weren't manufactured by NASA when they consisted of a tempered glass pitcher, a place for a filter, and one single fucking on-off switch. Not all progress is positive. The brown ghost had ground his coffee beans fresh in a separate contraption during her last visit. Again, he thought of her direct deposit. Truthfully, since his wife died, he could not live without her, whatever her name may be, and thinking about this for a brief and fleeting moment, he was ashamed. He should have gotten to know her better, treated her more like a person and less like a service object. He should have made an attempt to learn her ghostly hopes and dreams, but Oscar didn't really know anyone, himself included. He was an absentee landlord, far removed from his own life, collecting rent, paying the taxes, and performing necessary maintenance from a safe and sterile distance. This realization made him feeble with pain, and this was the main reason Project Separation was changed. He knew the title more accurately represented the life he had been living up to this point, described it eloquently, in fact, with a poignancy he had not known he was capable of. After the teeth were pulled from his mouth, Project Separation was converted to Arpeggi, the Sunrise Freedom Party, which, aside from the inserted subtitle, is the name of his favorite song. A song that had ultimately inspired the plan in the first place. The more he thought about it, the more he was astounded he had not conceived of it in the beginning. Arpeggi was perfect. As the head of cultural studies for our unnamed firm, Mr. Moldington had been credited with the discovery of certain reptilian hot buttons. See, cultural studies was not the broad and somewhat respectable scholarly pursuit the label implied. Rather... It was singular in nature, singular and misleading, as was all the research and projects bred under the moniker. The study of what is necessary to integrate a product or a brand into a culture, specifically American culture, and more specifically the culture of American children, and not simply integrate but ingrain, instill, imprint, embed thoroughly and permanently. Reptilian hot buttons are words and language that affect the human brain on a strictly emotional level. Bypass the intellect to communicate on a primitive basis. This language instills a need for a specific product attached to it that goes beyond want or rational desire. Some would call this psychological slavery. Mr. Moldington calls it brainwashing light, but in advertising, it's called success. Oscar's home contains one wall specifically dedicated to accomplishments and awards within his particular field. Spectacularly dusted and polished, meticulously leveled and measured, tasteful, precisely organized by importance and date. He has plaques, trophies, tiny golden statues. Some begin in honor of others presented to, but none of them mean anything significant to him. They were hung and displayed out of a duty to normality, to acting the way you were supposed to act. To to not hang these dedications would have made him seem stranger than he already felt. They were place markers, reminders, shining polished proof of how far he was off track. Every award he won was another slick wet maneuver performed in the career-long blowjob he gave to the devil. The reptilian hot button for... SUV is domination. After he had his teeth pulled and the proper prosthesis put in place and his planned designation had become arpeggi, he went to the hospital. At the emergency room, he complained of sharp pains in his jaws. X-rays were taken. Medical histories were amended. He sat at his kitchen table, ornately carved and varnished Brazilian ebony, Seraphim danced along its outer edges, and on one of these swollen angelic bellies were carved the initials O-H-M, black like the table, pointless. The coffee was almost finished, undergoing final processing. The sun would be rising soon. He poured cereal into a handcrafted bowl, bright pebbles all Sugary-sweet and hallucination-hued a bowl full of rainbow. Another trick, another brand, another variation of surgically-enhanced grain nutrition given a facelift and boob job to make people care. To make people view it as more than just cereal. To give it identity. Something to dedicate their loyalty to, but it is just cereal. Oscar's favorite, though he never actually ate it, he poured the milk over the cereal and listened to the crackle, the sound of a wet and struggling fire. He pulled the kazoo from his pocket and placed it on the gleaming tabletop next to the bowl, a perfect picture of childhood like still frames of red wagons, Barbie dolls, and high-tech video game consoles amid a pile of discarded Blu-ray discs encoded with layer after layer of guns and blood and animals that have learned to speak. In a cup, he combines cream, sugar, and coffee. He sips from the cup the warmth coating his throat, sliding down to his chest, settling in his stomach, automatically activating neurons and synapses and Caffeine receptors reminiscent of the starting of an engine. Ambition in hand, he goes to the den with his awards. He builds a pile of gold lake, and polished wood. In his professional life, he mastered the use of reactive mind commands and ad campaigns, contradicting commands that limit the mind's ability to discern truth about oneself or the subject referred to. Simple things to be you, to be me, to stand up, to sit down, stay present, stay absent. He learned to use these commands to sell lifelike dolls that cry and eat gummy bears and toy trains. The reptilian hot button for diamond is love. Mr. Moldington piles his plaques and certificates and trophies and douses them with gasoline, kerosene, and liquor. Flammable liquid overkill suitable to the fire he would need. A fire capable of destroying the past while creating a future. He helped to set a machine in motion which isolated children from their parents, from their peers, from the world around them. He glued them to television, sold them Happy Meals, obesity, premature sexuality. He taught them to scream at their parents and grocery store aisles about brand name snack cakes with delightfully synthetic cream filling. He taught the kids to hate their elders and the elders to hate their kids. Oscar has a knack for this training and he's made a killing. The machine always wants more. The reptilian hot button for cheeseburger is happy. Back in his kitchen, he filters the cereal from the cold milk through a sieve into a tall glass artificial strawberry pink. The real obstacle with Arpeggi was finding a man that fit his particular needs, size, similar structure, and most importantly, indentulous. After countless hours of searching and skipping and stargazing, he found him while driving home from work at the intersection of Maine and mine. The man held a sign in his hand, a grimy oil-stained piece of square cardboard with the words, We'll do anything for just about any increment of monetary currency, printed, and find straight lines. Mr. Moldington liked the sign, liked the way every word was capitalized. He liked the phrasing. He rolled down his window and gestured for the man to come to his car. The light at the intersection had turned green, and the cars behind Oscar honked impatiently. The man approached the car with the caution one would associate with a child sensing a pedophile in the park. Oscar said, come with me. A job? The man replied. Of sorts. Do you have money? The cars behind began to honk more vigorously, pressing steering wheels with ascending stages of gumption and gusto. The light turned red every driver sighed Is this a serious question Mr. Mouldington gestured with an aloof flick of his wrist saying Don't you see the signs of a budding and prosperous personal economy The man scratched his greasy hair You could be on the way to you could be on the way home from a, one of them corporations but be going bankrupt all the time they shred all the papers you know and The money is gone, but it still looks like it's there, like the illusion of money. You one of them? Are you the illusion of poverty? The cars were honking again, some trying to merge into oncoming traffic to go around Oscar. Do you have teeth? Oscar asks. Not a one. Get in. Oscar cleaned the man up. Gave him a proper meal, a few drinks to ease the mind. The man tried to tell him his name and he said, No names, please. So the man said nothing. The machine wants to eat and has to be fed. The reptilian hot button for chocolate is alone. He drinks the fruity pebble milk, the last comfort of the morning before composing his letter. Something simple and elegant that sums up his reasoning accurately allowing nothing to be misconstrued or speculated. Speculation is vital to the ethos of death. Questions must be answered when there are questions to be answered. His final words to the world needed to be final. He showed the man his home. His touchscreen heating and air system, red LCD alarm panels, remote controls, pictures of Family vacations and weddings, hystereo systems and computers, and various other entertaining contraptions available to those who chose early on in life to look at the big picture. He showed the well-groomed and wondrously impressed homeless man everything and said, Would you like to become my surrogate? The, the machine must be oiled and tended to in order to thrive. But on the flip side of the coin, it has been in existence for so long and has consumed so much that it has become a mainstay of reality, has taken on a life of its own, so to stop it now would be impossible. The inertia may slow, but it will never halt. The more talking robots he sold, the more high-fructose corn syrup and processed chicken nuggets the kids purchased with their parents' money, the more honors he received. The reptilian hot button for sex is dead. Oscar grew steadily into his role, began to learn the American moral consciousness better than anyone else in the business. He had, in essence, become a machine in his own right. And the people, they wanted more and more and more. Money appeared into bank accounts, seemingly out of thin air as if some supernatural current carried it along the invisible financial grid that underlies the state of things, as though a god or devil had shown favoritism and provided a curse disguised as a blessing over the conditions and circumstances of his life. But Mr. Moldington was tired. He watched the kids at the mall. Their vicious little faces twisted and screwed in anger and greed. The tiny monstrous expressions that would transform to sweet glimmers in their eyes when their gaze fell upon brightly colored plastic. Unmolded, manufactured, no batteries included happiness, painted to command consumer attention with liquid lead. He witnessed the wariness in their parents, the nervous checking of wallets. He saw it all. And he was so exhausted. The people at the top, his boss, his boss's boss, on down the line, they they said, you can grow a conscience when you die. They said, if it wasn't you, it would be someone else. He asked the man, did he want to become his surrogate? And the man smiled his toothless, cavernous smile, gummed another bite of steak and said, yes, of course I'll be your surrogate. Mr. Moldington finished his tall glass of cereal milk and sat down with his back perfect and straight to boot his laptop. Screens flashed to other screens, flashed to other screens, and the internet welcomed him. The final straw, the circumstances that forced him into formulating his plan to begin with, tested the very limits of taste and tact. It was an idea, an experiment, success was not expected in reality the opposite was expected sabotage failure forced obscurity no more acclaim no more awards my god he didn't even expect for anyone to let him try his experiment but they did which in itself is a testament to the importance of his cog within the machine there had been a beautiful woman with sienna skin and coffee colored eyes She had hair the shade of an abyss. In her youth, she was a child star, one half of a set of twins who were adored every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And eventually, every other hour upon network syndications, one lovable daughter at the center of a family sitcom designed to instill the morals necessary among the population to allow the machine to mature as it pretends to not exist. The woman grew into her own reality show on the Lifetime Network while her sister grew into a serious junk habit and a sallow, foreign stare. Fortune reversed, as fortune often does, and the woman developed non-Hodgkin lymphoma. That's the deadlier Hodgkin. A blood cancer that occurs when lymphocytes grow abnormally. The mutated blood travels through the body to collect and build homesteads in the spleen and bone marrow. To set up shop, so to speak. Constructing tumors in a concerted and relentless effort to destroy the environment in which it lives. In this case, our starlet's idolized body. Her show was cancelled immediately upon diagnosis. Immediately becoming too real. Turns out Lifetime is afraid of death. Well, let me rephrase. They are afraid of death pre-death. Afterwards, when decay takes on the scent of cash and coffins being marched through the streets begin to look like polished, oak paychecks, they love it. But pre-death, when the actual dying takes place, Lifetime wants no part of that. Mr. Moldington set out to change this policy. He spoke with her doctors, her junkie media slut sister, Reconnaissance, He obtained various permissions and signed contracts, collected death ETAs from various sources, leading to an accumulated average of three months. Although when Oscar looked at her in the hospital for the first time, when he saw the weight she had already lost and the distant accepting stare in her sunken, still, coffee-colored eyes, he didn't give her more than two. And two would be plenty of time. He set up a perimeter of cameras and lights around her hospital bed. She uttered a few excited gasps and nods and thanks for placing her back into her habitat. She was still so pretty under the gleam of 800-watt lamps. What Oscar wanted to do was test the world he was a part of, wanted to figure out if decency was a myth. He wanted to discover if there were any lines in the sand. And friends, you already know the answer to that. He walks out on his deck through glass-paneled French doors and gazes at the first pastel rays of sunrise breaking through the pines. The view was a thing of suburban beauty, pink light bathing the sprawl that would, given the chance, love nothing more to sprawl so far it would put the light out. Would love nothing more than to piss on the sun with houses and cars and price tags. It is a wonder and a blessing that, for now, some things are still out of reach. But Mr. Moldington knows, though. He knows someday everything will be owned. Inside, the browser was open to a blank email screen. He copied and pasted every address he had into the address box. Hundreds upon hundreds of ats and dot-coms and... .nets and .orgs and .govs, he added clients to this list, associates professional and otherwise. Women he'd slept with, their husbands, CEOs of corporations foreign and domestic, his creditors, banks, friends, enemies, and his pharmacist. In a few moments, they would all have his message. Every one of them would know that Mr. Moldington had had enough. The reptilian hot button living is money. Do it now, do it later. He put the cameras in her room and then began to advertise at his own expense. Slow death live, an American ideal succumbing to the cancer. Watch her pretty skin wither and dry and sink in around the bones. Watch her forget her family and friends as tumors spread to her brain. Watch her stare at them the way you would a lemon when the word lemon lost its pictorial referent trying to connect visual with label and falling. Just short. Find her light at the end of the tunnel together. The dimethyltryptamine overdrive that helped to convince us all of the afterlife. Catch an update after this episode of No One Changed the Channel. Stay up. Stay down. Look left. Look right. Never enough time. Millions of viewers watched live and set their DVRs so they could rewind their favorite parts. Bloggers ran amok. Churches held charitable events. McDonald's paid $36.2 million for an ongoing commercial slot. They advertised yogurt high in antioxidants. They were sure to mention that antioxidants may decrease the risk of cancer according to a study conducted by the Foundation for Antioxidants Against Cancer. I'm loving it. Yes, ma'am. Everybody wanted a part. Mr. Moldington was taught as a child that every sunrise brings a new beginning. He's never believed that until today. The Sunrise Freedom Party was in full swing. He finishes his cup of coffee and begins to feel the effects of his daily pharmaceutical extravaganza. Speed up. Slow down. Have it your way. Are you sure you want to be my surrogate? My decisions are often difficult, and no one's life is ever so pretty as it looks on the surface. I have problems. Do you know of these problems? Oscar had said to the homeless man the night they met. You ever slept under a pass? The man said, nodding gravely, I take it you mean underpass. He smiled his most comforting smile. No, I have not. But is this really a problem? The two men sat at Oscar's ebony seraphim table and considered the question. The homeless man looked around and said, This is better than an underpass. Oscar agreed. People across the country sat in their homes, fast forwarding and rewinding. They watched her stare longingly at the ceiling and blink in confusion when someone said her name. They watched her eyes roll back in her perfectly shaped skull. They listened to her jumble words and forget what she was saying while she was saying it until everything coming out of her mouth was a multiplying mass of syllables and grunts and gasps of pain like vocal tumors. A new brand of vitamins came out advertised and sold as a unique combination of essential vitamins and minerals designed to help prevent non-Hodgkin lymphoma according to a study done by the Center for Vitamin Research. The slogan was Remember to take your vitamins before you can't remember anything at all. Mr. Moldington thought that was too long. People want snappy, simple. But the vitamin stock skyrocketed. Spend money, save money, live, die. The reptilian hot button for the future is now. In the subject box of his mass email, he types, I no longer want to live in a world where someone will eventually sell the sun. You should join me. Oscar Harrow Moldington. Stop. Go. He should have been a writer or a prisoner. Mr. Moldington presses the send button. He walks back upstairs to the guest room where his surrogate lies rigor mortis stiff. The dead weight was almost too much to handle, but Oscar was still young, still virile. The man had agreed to become his surrogate, to take his place, sacrifice, as a necessary part of atonement. The reptilian hot button for tomorrow is maybe. Enter. Exit. Right. Wrong. The people watched as her lips pulled back into a tight grimace exposing yellowing teeth that had once shone crest bright. They listened to her mutter about angels and gods watched as her hair fell out strand by strand and curled into wisps and twirls on her pillows and sheets. The woman's twin began doing interviews to excited audiences. She cleaned herself up and disguised her habits with mourning veils. She now has her own reality show in which she plays the part of a washed-up actress playing the part of a dead actress's sister. Not reality. Actuality. Create. Destroy. Political candidates ran on anti-cancer platforms for the sympathy vote. Cigarette lobbyists padded their campaign accounts. The, the machine operates, operates of its own volition. Mr. Moldington placed the surrogate's body on the pile of awards. On crystal sculptures, framed certificates, letters of appreciation, the pile smelled of accelerance and achievement. The sun shined through the window now. Pinpoint laser rays of... Fresh start of new beginning. Live for today. Live for tomorrow. The reptilian hot button for truth has yet to be discovered. Pay less, get more. Now, never. You gotta eat. And all the people were captivated the moment she died. Machines were beeping, nurses and doctors knocked over cameras in a mad rush, swarming, trying to look serious while still flashing their best smile for the audience. Reenactments were considered, but proved to be less effective according to test audiences. So the moment was repeated over the air. Regularly scheduled programming was interrupted, a moment as disturbing as it was glorious. The final breath in a quiet room, the pals that shocked her still chest and silent heart, and then... Her funeral was taken on a short tour of select cities. Tickets were sold, and there were... No lines in the sand. After she was buried, everyone changed the channel at the exact same time. Vitamin stock fell, yogurt was discontinued, cancer legislation dropped. Accept, reject, go there, come here, remember, forget. The reptilian hot for real is fake. Mr. Moldington took the kazoo from the table and matches from a drawer. He struck a match and tossed it onto his awards, his surrogate, and his life. He watched as the fire blazed for a moment, a microcosm of the sun spreading and consuming and erasing a harbinger of death that warms the blood of the living. He blows into the kazoo and buzzes the last chords of his favorite song. A makeshift funeral march. A memorial to himself. The Kazoo had been an award as well, given to him by a toy company after the most successful product launch in the company's history, a launch Oscar had single-handedly orchestrated. Two weeks later, the product in question, a soft rubber, bear-like animal with plastic spheres in its hollow hands and balloon belly, was recalled due to being too soft and releasing the plastic spheres into the mouths and throats of toddlers, choking them to death. Another award for another accomplishment. He tossed it into the fire, initials and all. Stay, go, live, die. The retina for peace is war. Mr. Moldington's had enough. He pulls his hat low and sneaks out the back door. Two streets over, he catches the bus. He can see the blaze that used to be his home. Everything he has ever worked for consumed, departed, destroyed, erasing him from the world, disappearing him. Home as hell and hell as home, and vice versa. The sun was full in the sky, and now Mr. Moldington was free to live his life somewhere the sun will never be sold. If such a place exists.